0: Welcome to the Recappery, the History Chicks Media Recap Emporium. Huzzah, huzzah. Here we are for season two of Anne with an E, which debuted this morning at two (laughs) (laughs) o'clock. And were you up at two o'clock in the morning? No, I set my alarm for 3.30.
1: I overslept. I was planning on two because I wanted to be that eager. But no, (laughs) I guess I wasn't that eager. But that's okay. I got it super early
0: and I was so excited. Well, we'll talk about it. But I just thought it was so pretty again, just like last season. This is episode one. And unlike last season, when all of the episode titles seemed to be taken from Jane Eyre, Jane Eyre also figures prominently in this episode. The title, Youth is the Season of Hope, seems to come from George Eliot, a.k.a. Mary Ann Evans, from her work Middlemarch. And here's the quote, so let's see if it goes. If youth is the season of hope, it is often so only in the sense that our elders are hopeful about us, for no age is so apt as youth to think its emotions Partings and resolves are the last of their kind. Each crisis seems final simply because it is new. Hmm.
1: There's like one little tiny bit in there that I thought was accurate. But maybe as we continue talking, then I'll have this
0: like light bulb moment. Did you watch last season again at all? Um, Yeah, I did. I went back several times actually to verify things. And then I just went ahead and watched the last episode. Oh, okay. Yep. That's
1: pretty much what I did. But
0: in that last episode,
1: Aunt Jo gave her a copy of George Eliot. They didn't say what book it was, but I'm going to just go ahead and assume that it was Middle March.
0: And I do believe we speculated at that time that we might be seeing George Eliot episode titles.
1: Mm hmm hmm. We're so right. <laughs> there we go. You know, I'm not I don't even think we have to like do any recap of last season. We can just dive right in. Right. Except for
0: the fact that um, just in case you have forgotten how it ended, especially since it is not in the books, due to a health crisis followed by a financial crisis, the family had to take in Borders there are two men that were coming to board at the house at the end of last season. The boarders have arrived, and we know, though nobody else seems to, that they are criminals, the ones who had attacked Jerry and stolen a large sum of money.
1: Mm-hmm. And that was the last thing that we saw, and it was Christmas time. So here's the Netflix synopsis for this season two, episode one. The Cuthbert boarders stir excitement with a question. Could there be gold in Avonlea? elsewhere Gilbert makes a new friend at sea the boarders don't actually ask a question as much as they give a statement that has the whole town wondering what's up i'm i'm just
0: trying to poke a hole in the synopsis that's all <laughs> okay so i haven't written a synopsis but if i had one it would be book people just let it go <laughs> Oh my gosh, yes. I saw some on uh, social media
1: that seemed a little apprehensive. Because at least last season, we knew it was sort of kind of following the book. And this season, it's like, oh, we don't know what's going to happen. You know, yeah, I can see why the book people would be a little nervous. (laughs) Okay, we have our cold open. Anne hangs
0: out a window of Green Gables to welcome a new fall day. It is quite a beautiful day, as many are in Prince Edward Island, and she is looking over her treasures. I want to say that's a seagull skull, but I could be completely wrong because I didn't realize that bird skulls had beaks on them. Thank you. Me neither. Thank you. <laughs> and um, so I looked up crows or ravens and they seem to have a black beak at the front. So I'm guessing seagull. I am very excited to be wrong if someone wants to write in as to what animal that is. Um, she... Uh, also has a lot of beach glass, which I always think is beautiful, and a sand dollar. And I literally had forgotten that we are on an island surrounded by ocean. I had a moment of surprise. Where did these things come from? I, think <laughs> I must have been very tired.
1: Well, it was 2 a.m., so <laughs> we'll let it slide. Yeah, I I actually wondered if that was a seashell or a sand dollar. I couldn't decide. It's some kind of aquatic treasure. That's all I know.
0: (laughs) So she says goodbye to the horse, gets a rope from the barn, and travels via some incredible scenery to a big tree. But I want you to imagine this with different music and lighting. (laughs) Because it looks like she's going to go hang herself from that tree. And all you would have needed was music that was appropriate to that scenario. (laughs) That's exactly what I thought. I'm like, what does she need a rope for? And then she sees
1: this tree, and it's like this huge tree in the middle of a field, and she waves at it. I thought... Is there somebody there under the tree? I don't see anybody. And then she runs and hugs this tree. But then she like throws the rope over a branch. And I was thinking exactly that. I was like, oh, my gosh, what happened with the two 'er ne'er-do-wells that showed up at Christmas time? Was it so bad that she thinks this is her only, uh, the only solution? That's what I was thinking.
0: But instead, to our great relief, she just climbs the rope and gets all the way up to the tree where she looks around and says, perspective is wonderful. And it is. And I wish they had stopped there. Kind of with Anne in a tree. I thought that was actually quite beautiful. But then we went on to little more cockamamie type of things. There were butterflies landing on her hand and hair. She made a symphony out of forest creatures. Where would she have ever seen a conductor? We actually saw a choir last season, and they didn't have a conductor. So (laughs) where, where? That's all I'm saying. Um, Well. I'm going to
1: throw this out. This is my theory. The extra part of that scene, actually this whole scene, it kind of is like um, revisiting the images of the opening sequence. You know the song, first thing we climbed a tree. So there was a tree and she climbed a tree. And then in the opening sequence, there's birds and there's an owl. I mean, there's just like all these images that just, to me, oh, the butterflies. Even though in October, the monarch butterflies should have migrated away from Prince Edward Island, but we'll let it slide. (laughs) Maybe it's a particularly warm October. um. But that's my theory, is that it was that scene was an homage to the opening sequence.
0: No, no, no. That does sound good. And it probably explains why it seemed extra to me, because it mm-hmm. was. It was extra. It was an homage mm-hmm. to something. She um, blows some feathers into the air and falls in the water. It's full of comedy. It's Anne at the most Anne, almost like to remind us how dotty she is. <laughs>
1: That's <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> revisiting last season to remind us of things. And that also reminded us of how she, her character. I don't think it was feathers. I think it was... uh,
0: Like cottonwood oh, fluff? No, I think it was milkweed. Okay. If you get that many feathers in the woods, you've probably encountered a scene of great carnage. <laughs> you could find a skull. <laughs> Easily.
1: I'm kidding, I'm kidding. And then we have our opening sequence, which is exactly the same one as last year. The only difference is that since last season, uh, the lead singer for The Tragically Hip, who sings that song, Gore Downey, had died of brain cancer um, in October of 2017. So it was really sad for me to hear that song. I used to, I mean, I still love it, but you know, I was just sad thinking that he was gone. I had read an interview with some of his bandmates and one of them said that they were feeling like a chocolate mess, Div. You know, just like a, there's some sweet in there. There's good things, but it's just not consumable. That's how I read it. (laughs) I thought it was pretty. It was very descriptive. (laughs) All
0: right. Well, let's move on to the next scene.
1: Everyone reunites with Marilla and Matthew when Anne returns from her adventure just in time for supper and we meet one of the new boarders, Mr. Dunlop.
0: Okay. Anne comes home in a state. In a state. And she says, of all the trees on Prince Edward Island, I managed to find the oldest and friendliest one. Can you imagine? And all Matthew says is I could. <laughs> They're so used to her now, aren't they? Uh, oh, that's just Anne. She's got leaves in her hair. She's wet for some reason. They don't even really investigate what happened. Marilla's like, oh, the state of you. Take off your shoes. And that's more to save her her floors. Matthew's outside cleaning his own shoes. She's not letting anybody in the house with mud on their boots. But none of this gnashing of teeth and wailing like there would have been in season one. No, not at all. And I think it also
1: reintroduced us to Matthew and Marilla. You know, it showed him in just that one little scene. He only said a couple words, but R.H. Thompson is such a good actor that he said so much with his eyes. Matthew is kind hearted and he's quiet spoken and he's thoroughly in love with Anne and wants to hear everything she has to say, no matter how fanciful he just he just absorbs her. Whereas Marilla also, who loves Anne very much, is very practical and she's clean and she just doesn't have time for anything fanciful she doesn't see any purpose of it in life and i think it's just that little scene they were able to show their qualities and you know <laughs> remind us of what they were like right there
0: yes here's marilla adventure and she goes <laughs> back in the house
1: and, you know, she's wearing the same belt that she wore last season. And I could swear that I had one of those from Banana Republic in the 80s. I real, every time I see it, I'm like, I had that belt. <laughs> when we go inside for supper, we do meet Mr. Dunlop. He seems like a very kind Christian man. Um, he's fitting in perfectly at Green Gables. He just loves it there.
0: Well, I went back to see how these guys marketed themselves um in the last episode and we don't have any data just that they arrived at different times and they acted at that time when they came like they didn't know each other in fact this mr dunlop said in season one i wonder what happened to that other fellow you were expecting oh right so why is that i don't know okay these are the guys i just want to remind you that kicked the crap out of jerry when he made the mistake of walking down an alley in broad daylight and stole all of Anne's and um, Jerry's money just as a background in case we feel soft toward one of them at any point, which we do. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah. They're very good actors. I will say that. And at this point I'm going, what the heck happened? You know, I'm thinking, I'm super hopeful. I'm thinking, okay, in this past year, maybe Anne has charmed them like she did everybody else and whatever they had come to do, whatever their nefarious plot was, they dropped it and they were just becoming, you know, Green Gables people. (laughs) That's what I was hopeful of. I was so wrong. But that was what I was thinking. I'm like, what the heck happened in the past year? These guys should have played out their con by now, I was thinking.
0: Well, they're waiting for the payoff day. Yeah. When anybody has money. But anyway, there's a cute little by play between the family and Mr. Dunlop. He made bread. Marilla's made butter. Hallelujah, he says. He <laughs> calls Anne dear Anne. It is just one big happy family. And then we got the first mention of several of Anne being out of paper. Like it's an insurmountable thing. We can't I guess we're all on really tight pre harvest budgetary situations, maybe. Maybe, because, you know, they were
1: going to be counting their pennies. They had made quite a bit of money selling all their precious items that they had. Mm -hmm. And at the last episode, they projected that with the crops that Matthew had gotten with the loan, he had bought seeds and stuff. So with that money and with the money they made, they would have just enough to pay back the loan. And get out of dire straits. Uh, A little bit later at supper, we meet the new boarder, Nate, who says grace, much to Marilla's delight.
0: Now, how come (laughs) Nate, who is late... Ha ha. It's <laughs> first name guy. Is it because of his floppy hair? Is it his age? I don't know. He touches Marilla on the shoulder as he sits down and really knocks her off kilter. Shall I say Grace, he says. Now, this seems strange to me if, in fact, they've been there for 10 months. hmm Yeah, they should have said Grace by now or this not. This level of surprise does not go along with the timeline. But anyway... It's been a while, she said, since we've said grace in this house. And she, I thought this was a house where they'd say grace every time, or at least on Sundays. I never thought about it really, but that did throw me. I love how Nate, in his role of prayer man, just takes Marilla's hand like that's what you do. Everyone, not wanting to offend someone's religious practices, goes along. Even Matthew, who's so uncomfortable with holding people's hands. (laughs) Uh, Which is so funny because when Anne interrupts to ask if Nate could say gracious heavenly father instead of Lord, Marilla is horrified. (laughs) It's not proper to interrupt a man who is praying, but Nate just starts over. Winning hearts and minds by starting over with gracious Heavenly Father. And Marilla is just full of contentment during this prayer. The other boarder, Dunlop, looks over like, you are laying this on too thick, <laughs> man. Yeah. Actually, the
1: only people whose eyes were closed during the prayer were Nate and Anne's. Everybody else had their eyes open. Marilla was looking at Nate like he was naked. <laughs> and Matthew's just looking around the table and Mr. Dunlop is looking at Nate trying to, you know, send him messages telepathically.
0: I don't know, because if Nate was truly naked, she would not be looking at him.
1: I don't know. She's been living in the same house with him. She's got the hots for this guy. And that made me so very sad (laughs) because she should have those feelings. I want Marilla to have those feelings for somebody. I just don't want it to be this guy.
0: I guess. Yes.
1: I mean, that's going to do more harm to her than good in the long run.
0: We shall see how that pans out. Well, at the end of the prayer, he refers to those who are less fortunate. And then we transition to another scene. Gilbert is working, singing and mouthing
1: off in the coal room of a steamship. And we meet his new friend who sees life a lot differently than Gilbert does.
0: So they are in the coal bin hole. Familiar to us from the movie Titanic. Titanic. where gilbert is working as a tremor which i always thought was called a stoker but i guess i was wrong um one of the men gets yelled at for just taking a second to wipe his face the boss yells feed the lady trinidad no one's paying you to take a vacation and evidently it is vacation in canada i thought it was going to be holiday i was wrong oh maybe that guy's american I don't know. I'm just throwing things in. <laughs> well, um, yes. Okay. But Gilbert, to lighten the mood, starts singing, uh, Way Hall away. <laughs> And I love how we don't know his name, Sebastian, the man who got yelled at, who was dismissively called Trinidad. His name's Sebastian. So Sebastian says, don't make that man vex. You know what? I am going to use that. Don't make me vex.
1: <laughs> oh, that is good.
0: <laughs> <laughs> the boss, the fireman, is vex. He... Threatens them with transferring them to the slit trench. What is that, you ask? Why is that such a threat? He is threatening them to be assigned to shovel out poo from the latrine. And (laughs) Gilbert's poor partner is desperately trying to pacify the boss. While Gilbert is taking... Joy in using vocabulary the boss doesn't understand. Oh, yes, latrine duty would be particularly repugnant. He's treating this <laughs> like a joke. I know. And that's what there. I mean, the contrast between Sebastian
1: and Gilbert's attitudes about this job. I mean, it's apparent right from the first scene. I kind of love that. And that song, it's a sea shanty. Um, I just thought it was really kind of a fun song. And I'll give you a link to Art of Manliness that has all the lyrics and a nice version of the audio of it. But there's this one line in it. It says, Oh, King Louis was the big King of France before the revolution. This is me not singing by the way, (laughs) (laughs) but the people cut his big head off and spoiled his constitution. (laughs) It's Mm -hmm. cleverly written and it's more entertaining when it's, what is that called? Um, Phonetic was is
0: W U Z. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's just fun to look at. I thought it was fun. Anyway, anyway, You can kind of see how seriously he is not taking this, but his poor partner is full of anxiety.
1: Fear is actually what I was reading in his face because he he knows what, you know, what life is going to be like if Gilbert keeps that up, mostly for himself, not necessarily for Gilbert. Back at Green Gables, Anne wants to go to work with Nate, the geologist, but instead she settles for him lending her a book about geology
0: i have to say she badgers poor old nate the lodger you know we don't like him but if we didn't know that he was a Mm dirtbag we'd be like oh my gosh leave this poor guy alone he's trying to get out from under you she wants to go out all day to work with him and he proves he does not know and like we do when he tells her you wouldn't enjoy digging dirt all day Oh, wouldn't she, though? She <laughs> is just classic Anne, this whole scene. That fascinating science of rocks. Iron oxide gave me such a thrill. Scientific. And he's like, kindly enough, you never stop talking. <laughs> His just saying that triggers a flashback
1: to her orphanage days. This is something that happens a lot in this episode. I don't know how I feel about it right now. <laughs>
0: Yes, flashback number one, back at the orphanage where the mean girls get Anne in trouble by telling a crazy story in a loud voice so everyone. Quote, knows it is her and she gets the punishment. This, though, answers a question, a burning question from season one, though. Where did Anne get hold of Jane Eyre in the orphanage? We were trying to figure that out. Um, and this answers this, this creative and cruel torture of having her kneel with a pillow in her arms and loading her arms up with books. The top one of which is a green copy of Jane Eyre. Not good. No,
1: that looks like a horrible punishment. Mm -hmm. The matron says, you'll sit there for an hour, maybe two. How can that even be physically possible to sit like that? She's holding the books with her arms, like out, like off the ground. I don't even understand how that would be physically
0: possible. I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) People come up with some creative mess with regard to that. I don't understand it. If they had that as a uh, contest and survivor, they wouldn't even last 10 minutes. (laughs) back to reality it is obvious that nate does not want her to go with him um (laughs) on the surface even if this is the first season you see you can see why he might want to go alone for a bit of peace (laughs) uh even if he wasn't up to anything he distracts her with an offer of a book a shiny thing literally he waggles it around in the air as if i was (laughs) saying shiny thing (laughs) geology so we know he is a visiting geologist And then she says, which sounds like foreshadowing to me, you'll live to regret lending this to me, says Anne. Now, I have not seen more than this one episode at this point because it just came out today. But that seems pointed enough that we should remember it for later. I agree. I love the exchange at the end when he is like, I'm out of here. Goodbye, goodbye, goodbye. And he's like trying to hurry out the door and she calls after him. I'm going to have a thousand questions for you when you get back. And he goes, fair warning. (laughs) 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 And the whole little sister kicked out of bro's room vibe would be sort of endearing if we hadn't seen season one. He comes back in like, out, sister. Do not park your A on my bed and read that book. Get out of my room. (laughs) It's kind of cute. I, you know what? I think you could
1: probably come into this series with this season and know exactly what kind of person he is because when his back is turned to Anne, his eye roll game is hard. You know, he is making faces, evil faces, rolling his eyes. You could tell he is just playing, you know, when he talks to her that that's an act. Although I think he does it very convincingly.
0: (laughs) He really does. It's kind of scary. Smooth operator. (laughs) Although he is not as good as the other one. The other lodger is so scary. Good. Downstairs,
1: Marilla is washing her hair. Nate walks in and he ends up sweet talking her.
0: Marilla is luxuriating in washing her hair. We are are, I believe, supposed to get the feeling that she does not allow herself very many self-indulgences. And this is one of them. She feels very content. And when Nate comes downstairs, Marilla is unnerved. I mean, she's in her underwear, for one thing, with wet hair. Oh, the shame. The shame. (laughs) Uh, But all he says, and honestly, I tried to look for creepiness and he really kept it nice and level. Although it... (sighs) Just what he says is creepy enough. Yeah. He says, my, my, your hair smells as fresh as a summer breeze, which is creepy, although was functionally the whole entire theme of a series of shampoo commercials in the 70s. (laughs) (laughs) Man walks by a lady. Gee, your hair smells terrific. That's right. That was the name of the product. Gee, your hair smells terrific. That was the name of the shampoo. Uh. Though Marilla doesn't seem to think so. Evidently, he leaves her with a smile on her face. I would be chasing him out with the poker.
1: (laughs) Yeah, but you have a lot more experience than Marilla does, that's for sure, when it comes to men. Mm -hmm. I mean, that sounds bad. I didn't mean it like that. I was like, what are you saying, (laughs) Susan? (laughs) She's had like one fellow in her whole life. Okay, I'm just going to just back out of this and bring up something a little more interesting, I think. Do you remember when we were covering The Crown there was a scene where uh, Elizabeth got her hair washed in a sink. It was shot very similarly to this. The lighting is just so pretty and you could just like see the water. You can feel it. It just feels very luxurious. Except, you know, Marilla's got the DIY in the kitchen sink version. And Elizabeth had a lady's maid. But I thought the similarities of how it was shot was really
0: close. Okay, producers and directors, next time you do a hair washing scene, make sure to include drone footage, (laughs) some kind of explosion. Susan demands a different take on this activity.
1: Outside, Nate and Dunlop are excited about their big day and its big payout.
0: Mr. Dunlop is singing his lines from later, and I don't think it's a real song. He's singing things like, I'm staking my claim in Avonlea, you should bet on me, which is kind to pretty much what they say later this is a scam they've pulled before have you ever anyone seen paper moon with tatum o'neill this reminds me of that movie they travel and perpetrate these same tricks up and down the countryside or closer to home and pop culture music man where he quote sells instruments for a boy's band and then usually skips town and vaporizes but he pulls that same scheme in town after town up and down the train line so So I think this is um, the Griftmobile is what this is. Well, and if this is the Griftmobile, I think that the outhouse is kind of their
1: clubhouse. (laughs) It says quite a bit, doesn't it? That's where they're
0: meeting out by the outhouse. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So they say today's the day. Finally, they're waiting for, as Mr. Dunlop says, "Ah, bountiful harvest. I love me some full pockets looking to spend.
1: Yeah. But we still don't know exactly what it is. What's their plan? I mean, at this point, I'm thinking, are they planning on stealing all the money from the harvest from these Cuthberts? Is that what they're going to do? That's super slimy. You don't know. You know, don't most people like try to figure things out as it's happening? Oh, I know what's going to happen. No, I was wrong.
0: (laughs) I think that's a legitimate thing to think that they're waiting for Matthew to come home from wherever one cashes in your wheat or whatnot. And, um, relieve him of it the way they did Jerry in the alley. We have precedent. That's not an Mm -hmm. unwarranted conclusion.
1: Okay. Maybe I was just manipulated into having that conclusion. I don't know how I feel about that. I'm quite impressed that
0: these guys have kept up their act for
1: as long as they did.
0: Well, I think that's why Mr. Nate is cracking around the edges.
1: Mm, Oh, yes, perhaps, perhaps. Hmm. So speaking of that harvest, the next thing we see is Matthew, Marilla, and Mr. Dunlop, and Jerry doing harvest chores.
0: Anne, however, is reading while pumping water overflowing the bucket. That is a girl who could do with some audiobooks. Marilla is <laughs> frustrated. Ah, uh, go take that pail into the barn right now. She's a character, <laughs> that one, says Mr. Dunlop. She's a case, I'd say, says Marilla. <laughs> So, yes, Mr. Dunlap seems to be helping out around the farm, i.e., he's not a geologist. What I'm taking from his presence is that he was thinking of settling in the area, maybe? Okay. And he was a man of some funds? Is that what you're
1: saying? That he could afford to not have to work?
0: Well, or maybe... Casting around for land to buy, not wanting to make a rash decision, wanted to live in a community a while and make sure it fit. I could see him telling that kind of a yarn. Mm-hmm. And he's so helpful and so domestically um skilled that I actually <laughs> think that they would have bought that. Oh, yeah, completely. So sending Anne
1: off to the barn was probably the best thing that could happen to her. In the barn, we meet up with Jerry and his inability to read troubles Anne and it sets her on a mission to teach him.
0: Anne is just stretched out on the hay reading. No attempt made at pretending to work. She doesn't even hear him come in. So there's none of this straightening up. No, no. I was uh, scooping hay. Nope. No, no, no. What are you doing? What does it look like I'm doing? Something boring that doesn't look like work? I love Jerry. Hi, Jerry. Welcome. (laughs) I I do, too. And you know what? I'm going to
1: just say this is the only character that looked like he had aged, which is, you know, it makes sense. When he started, he was 11 in season one, and now he's 13. And that's just a time of such a huge change for kids. But he's the only one who's physically kind of changed a little bit, I think.
0: Well, my son blew right by me from 11 to 13, I think. And maybe you're in the same situation. I think he might have grown seven or eight inches. Oh, yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. He was probably my height and I'm five two. And now he's um, five ten. We were at the doctor the other day. Five ten.
0: So you can't really put an anvil on this little boy's head and keep him from growing. But you're right. I noticed he had become a young man. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a little bit older. Jerry consents before anyone else that Nate is not right, probably because he acts different with the help, I would guess. Um, and as we find out later, this guy's been messing with him just as a policy. Well, I went back and looked at the mugging because because oh. he's like, there's something wrong with him. I'm like, yes, you were there. <laughs> but I went back and looked and he never saw either of them. Um, not really. They got him Completely from behind and beat him unconscious. And so by the time he was on his back with his face up, his eyes were closed. And so he can't recognize them, at least not immediately. Like, you look familiar. Mm -hmm. Um, There might be a voice or um, a smell or something, or just a feeling, or maybe he got a glimpse, but he did not get a good enough look at them to trigger him immediately because I was completely puzzled by this. And now that I've seen the fight scene again, I that concern of mine is taken care of. Yeah. So then Anne says, well, Nate gave me this book. He understands that reading is a necessity. And that leads us to flashback number two.
1: In this one, she is actually doing the thing to get herself in trouble. She's jumping up and down on the bed, well past lights out, pretending to be a rabbit. And again, she gets punished with the books on the pillow punishment, except this time it's a little different. The person that's guarding her, when they fall asleep, she steals that copy of Jane Eyre and sticks it under a nightdress.
0: So I like that she got a hold of the book. What I don't like is how manic that I'm a rabbit, I'm a fuzzy rabbit. And and everyone's like, stop, stop, because she is freaky.
1: (laughs) Actually, I think that's really... um, Accurate with the way she came on at the very beginning of season one. That was kind of how she was behaving, I thought. Hmm. You know, just kind of, I don't want to say manic because there's really people who are manic. But, you know, that mood
0: changey thing. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Back in the barn, Anne shows Jerry the book. Look at this sentence. Isn't it glorious? And that makes him sort of angry because he reminds her that through no fault of his own, since no one ever bothered to send him to school, he can't read. And that is not very nice of her to just forget that. Like she knows and she knows he feels very sensitive about it. And so she offers to teach Jerry to read. And the look he gives her is sort of naked longing, really, although he tries to hide it. (laughs) <laughs> I think so. She was carrying on
1: then, you know, she's going on about the 26 letters that just combine to make up these glorious words. And he looks at her. I mean, it was like if crickets noise made a look, that was it. <laughs> That's the way he looked at her. And she says, well, okay, maybe just let's start with your name. <laughs> Good idea. At his worksite, Nate starts to play his con on Mr. Barry, who takes a bite.
0: Nate is lounging on a big pile of dirt. And until I realized he'd had 10 months to make that pile of dirt, I'm like, well, my goodness, isn't he industrious? Why doesn't he just get a real job? <laughs> um, but it's taken him 10 months to make one pile of dirt. And he hears a noise and hurries to have an open tantrum. God, dandruff. Some of it itches, you know, and he's kicking buckets and throwing stuff. And the curtain goes up. On the performance, Diana's father rides by. I say, can I be of assistance?
1: Well, he rides up and there's this work site. I mean, Nate did a really good job of creating the illusion that there was actual work going on. You know, you dug a hole and put boards in it to keep it square and made a little pulley system. So, you know, it looked like he was up to something. And he said that he just spirited a sample away to a lab to find out if there was gold in it without telling his employer, because he knew what they were going to do. And they were going to take advantage of the fact that there was gold there and would just rip off all the people in town.
0: Do I tell my employer? Or do I tell the people of this town? Keep it to yourself, please, sir. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is called baiting the hook. That's right. And it's
1: totally what he did. And Mr. Barry didn't even see it coming. You know what? You had said that they had probably done this con before. I'm going to agree with that. That didn't occur to me until you said it. But it's probably right because this is so well practiced.
0: Unfortunately, I think these guys are really smart. And um, <laughs> I referred to it earlier. I thought this is so much work and so much time and prep work that you could have probably made a massive, some kind of emporium by now and had yourself a million dollars. You guys are so smart.
1: <laughs> Maybe there's a thrill in the chase. Maybe we just don't appreciate Back at Green Gables, there's more harvest chores going on. And Mr. Dunlop starts singing that same song that Gilbert had been singing on the
0: boat. Something else cool about this song, the boss of all the sailors that were working together and singing this song would often make up the verses. And then everyone together sings the refrain, way, hall away, Joe. My son and I used to sing the blues this way to pick up his room. And so I was so intrigued by the fact that this makes light work and you can make up the verses to be whatever was appropriate that day. Is there an embarrassing story? Did someone get in a fight and lose? You put that into the song and Cheers. then everyone laughs while they're singing way Like, Like, um, I asked Jet, my son, if... He could remember any of them and he did. He remembered this one. <laughs> all these clothes are dirty doo doo do, doo doo all over the floor doo doo do, doo doo I got to pick them up so we can close the door. <laughs> <laughs> but we would make up different ones for different occasions. And so I love this about that song is that it can be whatever you want it to be. And so it made work fun. Yeah. And Mr. Dunlop is all in with his establishing character bit. And he is not slacking on the work or the creativity. So you just channeled that energy towards other things. <laughs> uh, we cut
1: to Gilbert and his friend in the cruise quarters on the ship where they talk survival
0: race, and opportunities. So the conversation is not as convivial on board ship. Gilbert is singing again, and Sebastian says, the fireman is not the only one who don't appreciate that song. And he lays on some real world truths for Gilbert. This job is as high as I'm ever going to get. I have reached the best I can hope for in life. You are a white boy who has options. You're a tourist. I need this. Don't lose this work for me, please. It's very heavy. It's Mm -hmm. something Gilbert needed to hear. He was trying to make light of the work. Uh, Also doesn't care if he makes the boss mad. Like who even is that guy that doesn't understand the word repugnant? Sebastian, now that he sees he's made an impression, goes ahead and lightens it up a little bit by saying, also, you don't sing worth a day.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a cute friendship. I mean, Sebastian's older than Gilbert, and um Gilbert actually takes you can t- see that he's taking what he's saying to heart. Like I never really thought of myself that way. Mm-hmm. So it, it was the tourist. It, that's the part that got me the most. It was like, you're a tourist. I'm like, he is a tourist. This is just like a, a game for him almost. you know, he just wants to see the
0: world, something different. And now I think it's time to take a little break, and when we come back, we will see what happens with the scam. The Scaminators. <laughs>
1: Anne, Marilla, and Matthew are on a buggy ride by the ocean and they talk opportunities and Anne recreates some moments from
0: season one, but with a different attitude. So Anne and Matthew and Marilla are going to the beach. I'm so glad I live in a world where there are Octobers. One of only two book references. (laughs) And that actually happened in the same chapter of the book that Diana got drunk on Raspberry Cordial i.e. not raspberry cordial <laughs> uh so there you go there's a little book reference for you tip of the hat Anne's mind and mine uh Anne's mind is completely boggled that these people have been living within striking distance of the ocean and haven't been to the beach in 50 years i love you both very much she says but this is positively mystifying <laughs> It is. I'm with you guys completely. Suddenly, Anne shrieks for them to stop, 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 stop. And of course, Matthew's like, what is happening? And she leaves the carriage and runs out to the cliff. Okay, I want you to think back to season
1: one. First off, it's not even hard to imagine this in your head because it's used as a photograph for a lot of the publicity for this show. It's Anne standing on a buggy with a hat on her head and wind and just a joyful look on her face with Matthew driving the buggy, right? We've seen that picture. That's what they do. The first shot of this scene, they recreate that. I thought that was intentional. The second thing they do, remember the first episode where Anne was just upset and she went running towards the cliffs and we're all like, oh my gosh, she's going to jump off. Uh, Yeah. But she does exactly the same thing here. Only she's so joyful. It's just exactly the opposite of what it was, you know, in season one. I love that they recreated those. And I'm just going to say they did it intentionally because I won't believe anything otherwise.
0: (laughs) Well, you can feel in Anne's case how much just living in that moment is filling her with utter joy. It also reminds me of a less joyful scene in the 2005 Pride and Prejudice when Keira Knightley is on the cliff and her clothes are blowing around to the point where I think, oh, Keira Knightley, you're going to get blown off the cliff. (laughs) There's a lot of wind. And um, in in Anne's case also, there's a lot of wind. But in this case, it's kind of um, her friend. And um, it just enhances her experience. So. (laughs) I like the examples of Anne living in the moment in a way that people just have forgotten to do. When they get to the beach, Anne immediately goes swimming. Matthew immediately
1: follows her and Marilla doesn't even get her shoes wet.
0: (laughs) Well, okay, they're at the beach setting up their picnic. It is October. Uh, Anne's taking off her shoes and socks. She heads for the water. And I love the look on Marilla's face when she thinks it's going to be up to the ankles. She's looking forward to seeing Anne's first time in the ocean. But Anne is disrobing all the way in which gives her great consternation. (laughs) This is unsettling. This is alarming. In Marilla's defense, the water temperature is 57 degrees Fahrenheit. That's actually not (laughs) freezing, but it's not mm, a hot tub. No, Um, you know, you just go
1: a little farther south to Newport. It's 70 degrees in Newport, Rhode Island.
0: And I'm here to tell you, Beezy does not swim in Newport, Rhode Island. It is too
1: cold. (laughs) That's Newport, Rhode Island in October. In Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, it's like 73. And uh, Venice Beach, California, it's like 75 is the average temperature of the water in October.
0: Well, kids do not care, for one thing. I used to be outside, speaking of the 70s, in the 1970s with what amounted to boots full of snow cone. Didn't
1: care. (laughs) I used to swim in Maine in the summer and I just remember mom looking at me the way that Marilla was looking at Anne. Like, are you crazy? And then when I got to be an adult and I went back to Maine and I was like, oh, I'm going to have that experience again. I like my, I forgot how to breathe and I was only in the water up to my knees. (laughs) Like, oh my gosh, I'm losing something here.
0: It's like when you come out from swimming and instead of getting a Coke, you get hot chocolate. That's right, (laughs) exactly, exactly. Well, Marilla sends Matthew in to get Anne out. And whoops, she has just lost control of that situation because now she has two kids in the water. I have been fully dressed at our local pool trying to get kids out of the pool. That is frustrating. You just circle around the edge, fuming, Damn. waving your hands in the air, and shrieking kind of low, because you don't want to embarrass yourself, but you're like r- 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 p- <laughs> Oh, please, the summer is very interesting. Well, Anne slips, and there is a genuine scare. Um, Marilla's poor feet in her boots are just dancing on the edge of the water. She's powerless to save Anne. Her society has put her in this box, by the way, that women don't swim. Women don't take their shoes off. Ladies don't. Women might, but ladies don't. Um, she's trapped desperate on the edge, um unable to go the twenty or so feet to help Anne. But of course, Matthew's right there, and she could just stand up. It's not that deep of water, but she started to laugh. did Anne? I got so excited. I forgot I can't swim. <laughs> Those dorks when Anne waves back, I mean, they're so happy, and I'm fine, you know, and then everybody's ok. And then Matthew starts to teach her how to swim sort of. (laughs) (laughs) Or at least a kick.
1: (laughs) They're having fun. They're having so much fun. Yeah, it's good. Next, they have their picnic. They have their picnic on the beach where they make plans and they appreciate simple things in life, including Anne staring out into the ocean.
0: They are just peeling apples. Maybe that's dessert. And Anne is making conversation. If we make enough money with the harvest, can we buy back the horse we had to sell, Bertie the horse? And Matthew says it could be possible. I don't know how that's possible. They sold him a year ago. Maybe he was just being amiable. Maybe. I love it here, says Anne. And she's looking out at the horizon and imagining, she says, all the other places in the world and all the possibilities. I myself am so happy to see that Marilla has taken off her shoes and stockings. You can see her knees. She has not had her feet on the sand for 50 years. I loved it, too. I could just feel it. I know that
1: feeling. I've, I've had it, although I, there's never been a 50-year gap between beach visits for me.
0: Well, I could do without the beach. But for Marilla, it is another small pleasure that she has denied herself. And I think she's like, why am, why have I spent my life not doing things like this? Um, You know, the sun on your face. It's just been too long. Now, I took Anne's look as that feeling that I I honestly don't have a name for. Nostalgia for the unknown future, I guess. Future nostalgia. I've used that term before. Yeah. Yeah. But I think the show wants us to think Anne's got Gilbert on the brain just from how they cut it. But I prefer to think, no, that she is, again, in the moment. I don't think
1: she was thinking of Gilbert. I think they just happen to have something else in common, her Ah. and Gilbert. Okay. Because Anne is looking out. You see her in profile. She's staring at the ocean. Then there's a super clever cut because we see Gilbert also in profile staring out at
0: the ocean. This time
1: he's on the passenger deck of a ship. <laughs>
0: Gilbert, the staff, coal man, dirty shoveler, is up on the deck with the real people. Um, they do look askance at, at him, by the way. Yeah, but they don't do
1: anything. I mean, they don't like It's just like a quick glance, like, should you be here? He blends. I mean, it's exactly what Sebastian was saying. You know, you don't have to live down here in the cruise quarters. Essentially, you can go up on the upper decks and you can blend putting words in his mouth. But No,
0: I think that's exactly what he was saying, is that you have the option of blending, whereas I do not. Mm -hmm, Exactly. And then the camera pulls back and we see even more that there's just
1: fancy people having tea. Kind of reminded me of Jack in Titanic, just a little bit. Maybe
0: it was the suspenders. I don't know. <laughs> uh So there, there was an SS Primrose. It wrecked in Cornwall in 1906. I'm not sure what year we decided this was, but this looks like a similar ship to the actual SS Primrose. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, because we really don't know what country he's in. Because that's the beauty of these ships. You know, they go around to different countries and they pick people up. He might have started off in Charlottetown, but that ship could have been from London and he just got on there. Back at Green Gables, Anne is caught snooping in Nate's room and doesn't realize that she's seen evidence of his con. So he plays her with this sultry blue steel gaze.
0: It is a very sister and brotherly irritated conversation at first. You don't see me breaking into your room, says he. (laughs) 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 <laughs> <laughs> which I thought was very interesting for a boarder to say to the child of the house is so funny. I wish I knew what she was looking at under the microscope. Iron oxide, gold. Yeah, I don't know. It looked like a tick to me. Oh, I'm sure, that's, I'm sure that's not what it was. It looked like a like a almost like a crab,
1: some type of creature rather than some type of mineral.
0: Well, Anne Doty starts in on him again. Hey, your book falls open to the chapter on gold. It's the only beloved chapter. Actually, there's underlines everywhere. There's notes and you have a drawing in here. La 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 la. You notice. Dear listeners, the corners are turned down. So Nate and I are both that sort of monster. (laughs) Anyway, um, his facade cracks for just a second because she won't let up. And he does yell at her, but he immediately apologizes. More, I think, in my opinion, than his blue steel, he says he's, quote, in a moral quandary. Now that, my friends, is the way to Anne's heart. To be in a moral quandary is to be Prince Charming. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> i need you to hold a good thought for me and don't say anything to anyone Ooh. oh romantical <laughs> i must yeah. end this turmoil in my heart can we all hear the violin section in Anne's mind right now yes
1: the look he gave the wall because his back to her was kind of like oh meddling kid you know and then he, he spun around and he was right back in character This guy's good. He's good at what he does.
0: I am so looking forward to, if they are exposed, having some kind of sentence that's reminiscent of Scooby-Doo. This all would have worked, but for you meddling kids. (laughs) In
1: the book club Hideaway Shack in the Woods, Diana Berry and Ruby Gillis squabble over Gilbert and story plots, while Anne is just the chill writer and all three of them select stories to send to Aunt Jo.
0: I love the squabbling. Diana's got a little sauce to her today. Why don't you just write another burnt story? What do you mean? You, you just write the same story over and over (laughs) about Albert, Herbert, Rupert. Pilbert. And uh, (laughs) Ruby takes exception not to the concept of her repetitive story nature, but to Pilbert. I would never write a story about a boy named Pilbert. (laughs) (laughs) All of your stories are about Gilbert, says Diana. You think we don't notice? She's still on that. And it's through Ruby expositionalist that we learn that Gilbert's been gone for eight months and three days and probably some hours and minutes too, but we don't hear it. And he may never come back.
1: He might not. And these ladies have to face that, especially Ruby, who's
0: still pining after him after all this time. Well, you have a lot of time to pine when you're 13.
1: That's true.
0: (laughs) You got nothing but time to pine and write notes in the paper and Yeah. Anne, however, is still back home in her mind And offers up a story idea The random, I quote, random (laughs) Tragical tale of a sad and handsome scientist Who one day stumbles upon a secret That might save the world Diana, of course, is amazed How do you do it, Anne? And of course, Anne is very casual Like, I write from life, Diana I write from life (laughs) (laughs)
1: she's so wise she's so Mm -hmm. chill (laughs) speaking about the wisdom of Anne Anne brings a brilliant steady guide to the barn to help Jerry learn to read and explain
0: why he needs to learn Marilla would be so very angry to see her sampler in the barn at all and it is in the hay and it is on the floor oh by the way, I though I couldn't screenshot it, there is a significant part of that sampler referring to children's obedience to parents. I found it. Well it's good.
1: Part of a hymn, it's actually called Obedience to Parents, and it says, Let children that would fear the Lord hear what their teachers say, with reverence meet their parents' word, and with delight obey.
0: So Marilla's been in that cage. At least <laughs> since the age of seven or eight when she made that sampler.
1: That's right. I couldn't see what the last number was. It's 1840 something, either mm. 43 or 48. I couldn't see it. I kept trying, couldn't see it.
0: Well, Jerry says he doesn't need to read. He's changed his mind. But Anne is not having it and brings her persuasive powers to bear. Every book has a whole world inside of it, Jerry. Adventure, romance, ships, gunfights, knights on horseback. You never know what's going to happen until you begin. You can be anyone. Go anywhere. And there is a quick flash of her... Sitting in what looks like the coal bin hole of Gilbert's ship. That's what I thought at first, too.
1: I had to rewind it. But I really just think it's the the coal bin of the orphanage. Oh, okay, okay. There's like a little mouse that's walking on a pipe or something that's in there. And wasn't there a mouse that
0: she had as a pet? Yes, until they killed it, I think. Right, right, right. And then she, I think, to support your point, she tells him, reading can save your life. Yes, I do think she's in the orphanage. I think it's a vision of her mental escape when she was there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because she's
1: just reading and the, the light on her face, she's just blissful while she's reading as a child. That must have been her only escape, you know, her only, she's sitting in a coal bin with very little light and yet she's not. You know, she's reading Jane Eyre and she's transported somewhere else.
0: She was reading that geology book sitting on itchy hay and just as transported, she didn't hear Jerry come in. (laughs) I think she just time travels pretty much every time she reads a textbook. (laughs) Well, he's sold. He's
1: he's like, okay, you could teach me, but you know what? She's out of paper. Sorry, but she did bring an apple that she's going to use as a visual aid and they go over to the sampler. She starts spelling out apple with the apple in her hand. She's A-P-P and Jerry is following along with her. She's really teaching him how to read with an apple and a sampler in a barn.
0: (laughs) Apple is not easy, though. Apple makes no sense. (laughs) Apple has a silent E. Apple has two P's. Apple makes no sense phonetically. (laughs) <laughs> she wasn't thinking that far ahead. Come on. She found the sampler. She brought an apple.
1: <laughs> um, There's a reason you start with cat. <laughs> Fair enough. That night, Nate and Mr. Dunlop reveal their true colors, smoke and cuss while they think that they're alone.
0: There is a shocking statement from Nate here. He says, I can't stand that nosy little kid, followed by an even more shocking statement. She's a pain in my ass. What? I have to bleep a word out of Anne of Green Gables? <laughs> <laughs> I, wow. Um, I know. I don't remember well, what they're... rating this had, but I'm just like, well, they are bad guys, huh? <laughs> well,
1: I don't know. It might actually have been PG-13 now that I think about it. <laughs> or at least PG because there's some violence towards children in it. Well, that would give it at least a PG rating, I think. And. That's a bad
0: word. Now I have to bleep it twice. Oh. (laughs) Sorry.
1: (laughs) I have Uh, to say, though, they're back out at their clubhouse. I'm sorry. The
0: outhouse. (laughs) It's probably the only place where there's no mosquitoes. Oh, good point. Good point. But they're smoking. Wouldn't that keep the mosquitoes away? Yeah. So I didn't like his... Hmm, frame of mind, he said. I had to navigate around her evil little mind. She's about to expose us. Tip the grift, he says. Matthew sees them passing the flask, and I think that's sort of nothing unusual. If, if he can't hear them, I think this is just fine. These are grown young men. They have a flask. They would go outside and have it on the sly if they were staying in this particular house, right? And the two guys, bored in the same house, it's natural they'd hang out at this point. Can Matthew hear them? We just do not know.
1: I don't know. There's Bendy glass, though, in his window. You know, it's the old glass that's kind of warped. I live with that glass. I know. I love it. I love it. The next day, Mr. Dunlop and Anne playfully bake a pie. Is it a cherry pie? It is so gloopy. I wondered exactly the same thing. What kind of recipe did great Aunt Beatrix give them? Yeah, I couldn't figure out what kind it was either. Actually, the first time I thought it was some kind of like meat pie because it's oh. dark red like blood. But I just, I don't know.
0: I It well, got me. We're going to call it cherry pie.
1: Even though cherries aren't in season
0: in October. But sure, let's call it cherry pie. (laughs) Now, Jonesy, we heard him being called Jonesy. Yes, we did. Jonesy does know how to bake. Also sing. Maybe Jonesy and Nate met in vaudeville. There's a point where Marilla has her hand on her head. Like, what has happened to my kitchen? (laughs) It seems fun. I'm, you know... Anne says, can I decorate it however I want? And he answers her, if you can dream it, we can do it.
1: Yeah, he seems like such a charming guy. I mean, you know, the uh, the fake one seems like a real charming guy. The real one does not. But but fake Mr. Dunlop slash Jonesy, I don't even know what we would call him now. I'm still calling him Mr. Dunlop because that's how I'm thinking of it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> You're just confusing me with Jonesy. But yes, I heard that in the, the previous scene too. Um, yeah, he seems like a nice guy.
0: I don't blame Anne for wanting to hang out with him. He's fun. Marilla tries to bring it down in the kitchen. You can't decorate a pie. And Mr. Dunlop's like, can't we? Can't we? <laughs> <laughs> we'll give you a link, actually. I have a link to 25 ways to decorate a pie. So Pinterest agrees with you, Mr. Dunlop. Yeah, I think fake Mr. Dunlop would have a blast with Pinterest. <laughs> or perhaps he does not need Pinterest. He is Pinterest, darling. <laughs> <laughs> he tells the story of having lost his family while he was away fighting the Boer War, which happened from 1899 to 1902. He does look of a correct age to have perhaps fought in that war I don't know if that's malarkey or real. Who knows at this point? (laughs) Um, He did have good cover there. There were about 10,000 troops and he could legitimately have been the correct age to be there. The first soldiers that Canada had ever sent overseas to fight fought in that war and veterans returning from that conflict had this aura of hero about them, people respected them in a way that I really think Mr. Dunlop is capitalizing on, whether that's true or fake. I am so sorry he's a trickster because I want to like him here so badly, don't you?
1: I do, and I wanna say that this is a nod to last season. Because when Anne was pulling her own scam on the pawn shop owner, she too told a story about the Boer War.
0: <laughs> so it's, it's good cover because it was a, it's something that was very respectable to have been involved in. It, it just elevated you in society a little bit, having even been involved with that. So it's a nice trick. It's a nice hanger to hang your fake patchwork coat on.
1: <laughs> I think it would elevate him in Anne's eyes too. Yeah. In some way, although she did it as a scam and she thinks he's telling the truth. So I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm the only person that recognized the Boer War. I don't know.
0: <laughs> well, she tries to comfort him for the loss of his own sister by quoting Jane Eyre and then offering to be his sister. Your very little sister. He seems either genuinely touched or a fine actor. And then they make up a little <laughs> Broadway number about pie. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it was a super cute scene.
0: It if, really was. I, if we didn't know
1: that he was faking it, you know, it would have been very endearing. Makes me sad. I
0: think this guy probably gets the big parts. <laughs> well, while Mr. Dunlop is
1: doing the good stuff in the kitchen, Nate visits Jerry in the barn and psychologically terrorizes him. And Jerry may not be able to read words, but he sure can read people.
0: So Jerry's out there in the barn carving his ABCs into the wood because that sampler's not going to be unnoticed forever. (laughs) (laughs) I am completely shocked that Marilla hasn't started to run around in a circle, that that thing's gone. It used to be at the foot of the stairs.
1: Mm -hmm. I'm surprised
0: she hasn't noticed. And then why does he do this? I'm not getting this. He is really scary and horrible to Jerry, menacing, holding him around the neck with one hand. With a knife in his other hand. The cue has a tail on it. He says, like a little French pig. Ah! I know.
1: I He just wants to torment this kid. He's a bully at heart. And this is the only place that he can be that evil. Because he has to be nice in front of everybody
0: else. So, Jerry, so he, is the pressure valve?
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Poor Jerry. I know. Well, he is saved from this genuinely scary situation by Anne's appearance, actually saved by the book's appearance. She throws it up the ladder um, so she can hold her skirt on the way up, I think. And um, Anne appears. Nate goes, aren't you bored of this yet? Which triggers another flashback. Anne is hiding under the bed when Matron catches her reading. Someone is bored of her chores, says Matron. You come out from there, you little thief. And then she tells her about what a sin it is to covet and steal. You risked a lot to take this, says Matron. You must have wanted it very badly. And what can Anne say? And then Matron rips out like the whole thing low school section of Jane Eyre and keeps it and throws her back the remainder there. It's yours gasps from book lovers everywhere. <laughs> Even those of you that bend the corners. Hey, weren't we last season wondering if she
1: had missed parts of the book?
0: I have a vague recollection of that. Yes.
1: Okay, good. Cause I only had a vague recollection as well. Hmm. Interesting. That would it's,
0: explain it. It's kind of in the first third of the book. So, um, What happens at the very beginning of Jane Eyre is that she's in her aunt's house, very, very mistreated. Then she gets sent to Lowood School. And there's a bit about that. And her friend dies. And then she sends away for a position in a house and goes to live with Mr. Rochester's family. So I don't right around in there somewhere between Lowood and setting out the advertisement for a job is what gets taken out of that book. Wow,
1: that's pretty good. I'm impressed. And here I am patting myself on the
0: back kind
1: of vaguely remembering a conversation you and I had (laughs) So, yes,
0: I don't know. I would love to remember that I I thought I would have to go through piece by piece every single There's no way to look by something we said No,
1: but if we did say it and you remember it, I mean Well, somebody might have listened recently,
0: right? Correct. Correct. Yes. So if you heard it, just drop us a line So back in the real world, Anne says, I like geology. It's not boring at all. Nate departs and Anne is surprised that Jerry is so utterly and stunningly upset. He is a bad man, says Jerry. It's very confusing to Anne because she has no reason to doubt Jerry. But what on earth could have happened?
1: Just the way he says that he's a bad man, like right to the point. Thank you, Jerry. He's is.
0: very shaken. He like and Anne, you can tell believes that he is not good. <laughs> yeah, know? she
1: can see it. Yeah. Yep. And then he doesn't even want to continue with their lessons. He's had enough. Mm-hmm. That was it for today. He he wanted to get out of that loft right away. In the house, Marilla sees Nate without a shirt and she's all aflutter with feelings as he plays her.
0: Marilla is, as many moms do, walking around upstairs. It's me, it's the sock fairy, picking up socks that people have distributed <laughs> like the queen of the May. But Marilla is actually on the hunt for mending. Do you have anything I can fix for you? And he thinks about it and says, can I give you the shirt off my back? I tore the cuff. Would a man really do that? I mean, not a gentleman for real, but would that even, I just don't even know. Okay. First off, he has been playing her. He
1: knows what every time he touches her or he compliments her or he stands in front of her with his shirt off that he's affecting her. He knows that. And that's why he's doing it. But um, flip side, he also is the kind of jerk that if somebody said they were going to do some job for him that he'd take him up on it, even if he didn't need it.
0: Hmm. Well, sort of. He's just gross. He's gross. I hate the way that he sticks his head out after this interaction. She's got his shirt and watches her walk all down the hall. Much obliged, he yells. And Marilla's just got feelings that she can't even name. It's a very upsetting, very upsetting scene. Okay, I had, at this point, Something
1: occurred to me hmm. is the feelings that she's having when Nate touches her or says something to her. Are those surprise feelings making her do those, you know, self-care things that she never did before?
0: Hmm. Hadn't thought about it. I, I don't
1: know. Maybe. Maybe she's like, oh, this is ple- I, I can experience a pleasant feeling. I kind of like it. What else gives me pleasure? Oh, washing my hair. Oh, digging my feet in the sand. Who knows what else?
0: Okay, so I would hate to think that this man is the cause of that. I would prefer to think that Anne's spirit is what is causing it. I
1: agree with you. But if we want to get a, you know, silver lining out of a very dark cloud, we can get it from there. Maybe. Well,
0: I would like to let's pull that back to Anne being the force for good. That's what I (laughs) Okay, I'm with you.
1: Okay. In the Barry's bedroom, Mr. Barry is conflicted and the missus can't
0: get him to tell her why. Honestly, William, you're making me dizzy. (laughs) What's the matter? She is trying to get him to talk to her and he won't talk because he gave his word, blah, blah, blah. He's walking around, walking around, walking around. And you could tell there's something on his mind and he won't let it out. And she's trying the wifely, I have two ears. They work. I'm ready to listen to whatever you have to say. And He just bursts out with, I just want to do something that matters for once and leaves the room, which leaves his poor wife thinking, oh, no, it's a midlife crisis. (laughs) What is my life about to become? That's not very fair.
1: No, and he okay, two things there. He when he said that, he just sounded like such a child. I just want to do something that matters for once. And he kind of like the foot stomp was implied, and he just kind of flounced out of the room. That's how I read that his exit there. But there's another thing about this scene that bugged me. She said, I would offer you a penny for your thoughts, but I haven't any money. So does she mean that? women don't have any money of their own? Is it one of those statements? Are the berries in a financial stress or is it that she just didn't have any pockets?
0: I wasn't sure. That For I, some it, reason, that line stuck out at me. Yes, there was a brief picture of her face in the mirror when she said that. So what I'm taking that to mean, since later he offers money to somebody, I think we can discount money trouble, at least at this point. More on that later. Um, so... We're left with, and who cares if there's pockets? If she had money, it could be in a jar <laughs> on her table. Well, yeah, I'm so that was what. I'm,
1: what I'm I guessing is just being is, clever, and don't
0: don't you love pockets? <laughs> so I don't really have any feelings about pockets. I don't care about pockets. Am I un un um solidarity like? No, you're actually very fortunate. <laughs> so I'm guessing that it is B. She has no money of her
1: own. Okay, good. We need to point that out because that's what women were dealing with at this point in life. Later that evening, Matthew declines to join the Borders Men's Evening around the Green Gables fire. And when he leaves, they discuss their plan and use Anne to help further it.
0: It's probably so weird, especially for someone like Matthew, who's very shy to have paying strangers taking up your space taking up your chair. Dudes love them, their chairs. And he kind of can't get out of there fast enough. We remember how shy Matthew used to be. Well, once he's gone, Nate reveals that he has been trying to see if Jerry remembers them. He's been messing with him on purpose. And Mr. Dunlop says, stop poking that bear. They got off easy. You need to lay off. Uh, you know, take the good that he doesn't remember us and just walk away. And Nate's first reaction
1: is to just snap at him. Don't tell me what to do. Another childish move here, as far as I'm concerned. Maybe I had kids fighting in my head or something.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Don't tell me what to do. So they hear Anne coming, and Anne, who is gigglier than I have ever seen her in her whole life, gives Dunlop a present. Don't open it now. And then when she's halfway up the stairs, it's an apron. ha 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 ha. It's really. uh, And then they begin operations. It only takes a glance, and they start off on. um, (laughs) They know Anne's sitting on the stairs still. The townsfolk should get the gold. I want to do the right thing. Everyone here will be rich. Only your conscience can guide you as to what the right decision is. And scene. (laughs) Anne's in deep
1: oh yeah and they knew just exactly how much to do too
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: mr dunlop is quite the baker marilla and annie need to share the baking bounty
0: <laughs> if nothing else <laughs> mr dunlop is not lying about his skill with an oven <laughs> the whole table is full of things bread is hard like i've seen the great british baking show i've seen it i don't see any eight strand braided loaves But I know that regular bread can let you down. But the whole table is packed with pie, scones, rolls, loaves. Whose flour is all this? (laughs) Now, is there also not a point, about halfway to this point, where someone in the house should say, hey, you should cool it. (laughs) Like, I know you're cooling it off on the table, but you guys need to lay off. (laughs) That was ridiculous know. amounts of baked goods. No <laughs> one saw that happening.
1: Yeah, I don't, you got me on that one too.
0: <laughs> That's like, I mean, just think
1: about it at Christmas time when you make cookies. I don't know if you've done this, make cookies for the neighbors or whatever, all those. And that takes like two or three days of you just constantly baking to fill
0: up a table like that. That's a lot of bacon. You just go down to the commercial kitchen. Okay, well, we and don't you all put have them all in that big oven and make 24 pans at once. And hey, presto. Are you having yes. fun bragging there, Beckett?
1: <laughs> You're done. <laughs> yes, that's so nice. If somebody had that happen to them. <laughs> Most of us do not.
0: (laughs) Well, okay. so I'm assuming there's a time frame in which those things appeared. Well, Anne is dispatched to Rachel's with some of it. And Marilla takes a giant basket out to Jerry for his family um, with his tea. He cannot believe it. And he tucks right in. (laughs) Oh, yeah.
1: And his eyes are just so huge. It's like, whoa, dive. Anne sits off to Rachel's to bring her scones and some secrets about their mysterious boarders who have discovered gold in Avonlea.
0: Miss <laughs> R- <Ms>. Rachel, Mrs. <laughs> Rachel, she kills me. It- is there something on your mind, Anne? It's not helpful to hold things in. It's bad for your heart. <laughs> sure, it is. It's safe with me, she says. A secret is safe with her, like a 12 pack of Krispy Kreme donuts is at a <laughs> <the> skate park. <laughs> It is a secret, quote, secret, for as long as until Anne crosses out from Rachel's property line. That is, other than that, no. (laughs) She can keep a secret for 17 and a half seconds. Does Anne not know this or does she know it? Yes, she does. I believe that Anne is using the classic back way to let people know a thing without being the one who's gossiping. Mm hmm. I think that's very clever. At first, I was like, what is she thinking? And that is exactly what she's thinking. She was
1: buying into what Nate was saying about it being a quandary and, you know, that the people from the town should be getting the money. And, you know, she has a very kind heart. So this is a way for that to happen. Oh, yeah. She knew what she was doing. But Rachel was just really funny in this scene. It made me laugh. So telephone. Telephone. Telegram, tell Rachel. The whole town meets to maybe get in on this gold thing as Nate and Mr. Dunlop set their con hook with some nefarious performance.
0: It is something, isn't it? It is very coordinated. Mr. Nate is at the front, a reluctant speaker. I sent the sample to an independent lab. In New York City, I have here a certificate from New York. New York City, you know, dang, that must be real. (laughs) Um, He explains that each landowner should send their own sample in. And I have bad news. It's $150. And then murmuring, which you can see on the um, closed captioning. I'm not sure how easy it was to hear. Somebody says, well, that's half what most people here make in a year. So yeah, you can hear that. That was somebody stood up and said that. So yeah. M- Mr. Barry, Diana's father, offers to subsidize people who maybe couldn't afford the $150. Nate says, "I don't have a horse in this race. I'm I'm not from here. I don't live here. It's just" and then he gets all stammering, reluctant, Hugh Grant like. It just it just seemed like the right thing to do. And then he acts like he's leaving. He gathers his stuff. He's overwhelmed by the furor of what he has just put in motion <laughs> and his partner in crime up at the front. Why don't you put your money where your mouth is? I'm going to stay here. Gold or no gold. I love Avonlea. What about you? Why don't you quit your job and just manage this mining operation? If you think it's going to be so great. Why don't you bet on Avonlea? Can you and see that? on a- bumper stickers. Bet on Avonlea. <laughs> Can you see bumper stickers on a horse and carriage? <laughs> sure I can. My well, other yeah. car is a brougham.
1: Well, if you've ever been to, you know, like Pennsylvania, Dutch County or near any Mennonites and they're driving the buggies, they have stuff on the back, don't they? Or is that just in my head?
0: <laughs> it might just be in your head. I think they're required to have that slow moving vehicle sticker. But yeah. I've never seen like my other car is a <laughs> handsome cab. <laughs> No, my other uh, car is a saddle. <laughs> oh, there you go. Uh, so Nate, after this big tension, the gauntlet has been thrown. Nate agrees to quit his non-existent geology job and wins the hearts and minds of Avonlea. Hooray! Yay! Yay! I'm trying to be like a subtle
1: background cheering, but everybody goes crazy. They forget to stop asking questions. There's so many questions they need to put before him, but they're just so excited that he's agreed to, you know, champion their cause and lead this organization and
0: bet on Avonlea for them. So, Ooh. yeah. Yeah. It is Dirty Pool. Old Mr. Dunlop sure has good enunciation and projection for a soldiering baking man. It's almost as if he'd had experience delivering lines to an audience by Jove. Applause. Applause.
1: You're going to stick to that theory that they met at vaudeville?
0: Uh, Yes. I believe so. Or prison. (laughs) (laughs) I don't really know. But there's a bit of foreshadowing again in the balcony there are the young ladies, um, Diana and Ruby and Anne are all up illicitly on the balcony. Ha ha, we're all going to be rich like you, Diana. I think combined with Diana's dad offering to front everyone's testing fee, I sense the fall of the House of Barry. Oh,
1: well, a part of me is happy that they're not planning to
0: steal all the
1: uh, Cuthbert's, you know, harvest money. But yeah. But they are,
0: but only in a roundabout way. Because Mm -hmm. if that's half what people make in a year, they are stealing the harvest money. Well, maybe they have to pay the bank back. I don't know. I I haven't
1: watched any more either, so I don't know. But maybe, you know, the last time that Matthew was in charge of the finances, they got into this seriously sticky situation. So maybe they'll listen to Marilla and not invest.
0: Well, or maybe... Sensing they have no money for this project, and in the spirit of neighborliness, Mr. Barry will give their money as well as his.
1: hmm mm-hmm. Yeah. Back at Green Gables, Anne needs to write to Gilbert. There may be gold on his farm, but the only place to find paper is in Nate's trunk, where she also discovers something else, but flees when Marilla comes home.
0: Now, nefarious dirtbags aside, she should not be rummaging in the lodger's stuff.
1: No, she should not. She was making herself very comfortable in his room. Too comfortable for my taste right from the beginning.
0: So she sees the seal stamper and actually stamps that piece of paper she just stole, but does not make the connection. New York, she says. Huh. Then she gets surprised by Marily coming home and gets in bed fully dressed, which I couldn't put together until I realized, oh, yes, she was not supposed to be at that meeting and just beat Marilla home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it took me a second to figure
1: that one out, too, because she just jumps into bed with her clothes on. You know, if Marilla knew she was there, she would have, you know, get into bedtime.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And she still had her shoes on. She didn't have time to, you know, she just had to make a choice. Yep. Well, I'm going to write a letter to Gilbert, says Anne, in case the gold might run under his farm. And Marilla praises her for her thoughtfulness. Mm
1: -hmm. It's very thoughtful.
0: We learn that Anne's plan is to get Aunt Josephine to maybe help her find Gilbert on the ship's manifests. Manifest. Isn't that a romantic concept? Not the fact that I'm writing to Gilbert. Just the
1: ship's manifest. (laughs) (laughs) It's a fancy
0: word. I wonder
1: why they put so much emphasis on that whole manifest part. I mean, that could have just been like a conversation. Yeah, Aunt Jo said that I might be able to find it on a manifest. The end. I don't know. Like, is it going to be like the paper?
0: Oh, or is there going to be let's uh, you know what? Let's put a pen in that speculation. Will there be something involving a manifest? (laughs) Nate arrives home thrilled with his success, but he makes a
1: discovery in his room and sets a hairy trap that (laughs) that is intercut with Anne praying about gold and her letter to Gilbert.
0: So Nate realizes that someone has had that seal out. Someone is, what is it, tipping the grift. (laughs) (laughs) He lays one of his own hairs from his head over the lock so he can see if someone gets in it. Not who. It's no ring doorbell. But we end on a close-up of his scary, suspicious, and determined expression. Ooh. (laughs) Yeah, that's
1: what I thought, too. I'm like, ooh, that's scary.
0: That's really sinister. So basically, every single thing in this episode is off book, except um, living in a world of Octobers and um, maybe the story club sending papers to Aunt Josephine. And I'm not sure. Please feel free to tell me any more elements. I don't think there's any more major elements. So it's free to be you and me, and really, as far as this show is concerned. The second book starts when Anne is 16 and a half. And so I don't think we're there yet. Uh, we're not in the second book yet, uh, timeline wise. And I really hope there will be more book in future shows. This isn't really tethered or even based on anything traditional. That's why our notes are so much shorter than they had been for season one, because we have no hooks to hang things upon. <laughs> um, well, did you
1: watch the uh, trailer for it? Oh, we'll put the trailer in the show notes. But the trailer for this season, you know, you can like watch it and kind of speculate where the storyline is going to go. Um, there might be, I, I, I can see some things that may have gone on in the books, maybe. Okay, I'm not so- going to say what they are because I can't remember. <laughs>
0: Well, I have not seen the trailer, so um, I'm going to come at this set of things pure, at least for now. Um, This story, the way, you know, this story is going right now, episode one, I would like to see, and I think we will, um, how the scam plays out exactly. I am very interested in my foreshadowing as to Diana's father's bankruptcy And I have stars around this. Can Mr. Dunlop be redeemed? Oh, I don't know. (laughs) That's kind of a stretch. I just hope that Marilla
1: doesn't get hurt any more than Matthew is because she has so much. She's being romantical, you know, Mm -hmm. about Mm -hmm. Nate. And so she has those emotions that she's just not used to working with involved in this equation. So I really don't want her to get hurt even more than she has to.
0: And I almost think I hope she discovers it instead of having someone have to break it to her. If it has to happen, I hope she's the action lady. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that would be good. So I'm interested in Gilbert's adventures in real world land. Mm -hmm. And does Sebastian get to come to Avonlea? Yes, I
1: really think I'm going to like this Sebastian character just, I don't know, he just seems like such a different guy than the kind of guys that are in Avonlea. And I'm not just talking about the color of her skin because Avonlea is very, very fair. Um, <laughs> and Sebastian is from Trinidad, so he's not. But yeah, I just, I'm really curious to see what kind of elements. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking there might be el- like modern kind of discussions that maybe wouldn't have been happening during this time period. But since the books are shot anyway you know, and they really delved into feminism a lot more, um, last season than they probably would have in reality or even that you know, Maude Montgomery did. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm curious to see where he goes to.
0: Now, there are some things from book one we can still include. So any of these, I would love to see. Are we, are we ready? The hair dye incidents where Anne turns her hair green because she wanted raven black hair like in a book and some bad stuff happened. Um, Anne as Elaine, the lily maid, floating down the river on a raft. When Anne and Diana try to have a fancy lunch for a famous author. I don't even want to spoil you as to how that turns out. (laughs) Um, Even just truth or dare on the ridge pole where Anne walks on top of a house because someone dared her to do it. And then... When Diana and Anne are telling themselves horrible ghost stories and we're afraid to go in the um, forest or even any of Anne's relationships with her teachers, especially Miss Stacy. So, you know, there's a lot of drama that could happen. There's a lot of funny incidents and um, comedy. I'm always happy to see Jerry, of course. I hope he's not too traumatized in chapter two. And if the bad guys do triumph, I hope they get their comeuppance in the end.
1: Ooh, I hope they get their comeuppance in the middle so that we can do some other storylines.
0: Oh, yes. I hope they get their comeuppance (laughs) in episode two. Yeah. Yeah. Wouldn't it be great if it was Jerry that breaks
1: the case? Ooh, yeah. I would like that. And I'd like to see Ruby Gillis kind of get infatuated with Jerry. So she could stop talking about Gilbert. It's just getting to be too much.
0: (laughs) I don't know. She's had a thing for Gilbert since like third grade. Yeah, but
1: that last episode, last season, Gilbert and Anne only have eyes for each other.
0: But Ruby doesn't know that yet. No, she doesn't. doesn't. Ooh, is Ruby going to have an attack of the vapors when she sees that in person? Because, you know, the only person that's ever actually seen it is Jerry.
1: That's true. And he just got to be the older brother. (laughs) Bye-bye.
0: Au revoir. Well, all right. There it is. I don't know. I don't know what to think. Um, It was so off book that I really am kind of treating this like a separate fan fictional sort of endeavor. I don't know. I don't know what to make of it. That's brilliant. Yes.
1: Fan fiction. (laughs) Because people who are fans of something love fan fiction, right? Right. Uh, right. So people could love this now that, that they're not really messing with the storyline
0: anymore. Ooh, I
1: kind of like that. Let's sell it that
0: way. Well, and I have um, not that I really love these books, but I, I like their concept. But the Veronica Roth books, Divergent, etc., which mm-hmm. I sort of find a little clumsy. I did like how she came back. After the success of those books and wrote some other stories from the point of view of different characters, I found Mm -hmm. that very clever and um, kind of world building. So maybe that's what this is.
1: Okay, that's really funny that you say that. Oh, Over the summer, I went to the movies with my daughter to see a movie from a book series that she and I both love. And Lucas Jade Zuman was in the movie. It's um, Every Day. It's a book series by David Levithan. It's a YA series, but, you know, you don't have to be a Y to read them. <laughs> <laughs> um, basically, The story is about a being named A who wakes up every day and and takes over the body of somebody else and just lives their day to be the best day as possible. And then A will wake up in another body the next day. And then eventually he meets somebody that he really wants to have a relationship with. So one of the characters who oddly was called Nathan, who is a really religious guy, was played by Lucas Jade Zuman, and he was so adorable. I was so excited. I was like hitting my daughter in the movie theater. <laughs> like, oh, look,
0: look, it's Gilbert. Well, good. You know, people have strong feelings for Gilbert from the 80s. So I wonder if they're going to have strong feelings for this Gilbert too.
1: I don't know, but he's got two other movies coming out this year.
0: So I think of everybody,
1: I was kind of like trying to look ahead at some of the actors, see what they're doing. I think he's the one that's whose star is rising fastest.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It really
1: wouldn't surprise me, I guess.
0: So I don't have too many links. I have a link to the history of that Way Holloway song. I have a link to Kira Knightley <laughs> standing on the cliff edge um, <laughs> with... Epic orchestral music surrounding her. Um, and then a link to some pie decorating in defiance of Marilla's proscription against it.
1: <laughs> well, I only had the uh, way Holloway um, <laughs> link. So that's all I've got.
0: you got more than me. So that's it for episode one of season two of Anne with an E. We would be delighted to see you over on the recapery page. Or, in fact, if you would like to join us in the History Chicks Podcast Lounge, we're going to have a discussion going on in there, too. Just go to the History Chicks page on Facebook and click join group. Answer the question and you are in. Our bar is not set very high. We are just separating robots from humans.
1: Okay, so there is 10 episodes of this season, unlike last season, which only had eight. So our posting schedule for this will be once a week, except for the weeks that we post our biographies over on the History Chicks podcast. It's just too much for us to do that. So it's two weeks and then a week off and then two weeks and then a week off until we get through the season.
0: See you next time. Thanks for listening. Bye.